The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga, and I'm filling in for Beth Heaton, the regular host. Now on to today. For our second and third segment, Shannon Vasconcelos, college finance consultant here at College Coach and former senior financial aid officer at Tufts University, will help me respond to your listener questions. Um, but for our first segment, I'll be joined by Kara Courtois, College Coach Educational Consultant and former Senior Admissions Officer at Barnard College. We'll be advising students on what they can and should be doing now that they've submitted their applications. Welcome, Kara. Hello. Thanks so much for having me, Sally. Well, thanks so much for coming. It's the holiday season, so I know we're all super busy. Um, and one of the big things, though, is that for some students, they actually are experiencing a lull. For the first time in months, <laughs> they're done with their applications. They don't have anything that they can think of left to do. So, so for these students, you know, they're at loose ends, they're relieved, but they're still anxious. They're not sure what they should be doing next. So, you know, what are your thoughts? What do you think, uh, how do you think these students should sort of react to, um, to the fact that they finally completed at least the initial round of college applications, or I should say the entire round of college applications. Yeah, and I'm sure not everybody has. <laughs> but yeah, um, <laughs> nonetheless, I would say you know absolutely that's something. It's a huge milestone for all students. You know, really um, that they they need to celebrate. You know, just being able to have achieved that portion of their goals and perhaps their, their, I'm sure their letter list as many students has changed in the past six months uh, where they expected to apply to where they ended up applying, um, some for good reasons and some for, you know, anything from financial reasons to a shift in priorities and expectations. So, you know, one, I'd say celebrate. I totally agree. Um, and then the other part is what I always like to talk with students is, you know, now is the time to just be present where you are. You know, uh, I had a student who said, you know, I, I don't remember ever being reminded that first semester senior grades count um, in this whole process, you know, and certainly we've certainly seen many times where students have checked out um, academically senioritis kicks in. I taught high school seniors for a couple of years, and this is right at the time where that disease called senioritis can really sink in to a lot of students. 
so I, you know, would definitely just encourage students just to, you know, check themselves and get ready for, uh, you know, a good winter break to rejuvenate and not work on applications, but to really um, make sure that they're ready for their mid-year uh, exams and, and just preparing to take, you know, real focus and attention to their academics at least until the mid-year. Um, if they fall ill with senioritis, <laughs> you know, in late February, March, that's normal, you know, um, and just really keeping an eye on not dropping um, below, you know, expectations that they've presented to the colleges. So mm-hmm. that's one of the most important things. Yeah, without a doubt. I actually, I remember talking to um, an admissions officer at Yale who said that, you know, he can remember multiple times when a student was slated for admission and then they yeah. got their mid-year grades and there were a few Bs on there. This was a student who, mind you, this is Yale. For most colleges, a few Bs is fine. But, mm-hmm. you know, at Yale, a few Bs was not fine. And so these kids that were slated for admission, they, you know, kind of won the lottery, um, uh, you know, ended up in the deny pile because of those Bs. So, you know, yes, the senior year grades absolutely matter. And in the last show, you know, I was talking about students that were deferred early action and early decision. And so they probably already know this, but this is going to be the case even if, uh, even if you haven't been deferred someplace. Mm-hmm. Keep your grades where they've been. So, yeah. And that's the part that I think a lot of parents um, really forget. So it, it, I really emphasize it to the students to you know, take responsibility for that, um, partly because parents remember that their senior grades probably didn't count, <laughs> you know, way back when um, we all, I should say, not just they, were applying to colleges that maybe senior grades didn't have much um, of a role. But today they absolutely do at the majority of schools. Um, so, yes, absolutely, students need to focus on that. Mm-hmm. And on a similar role, and actually you're reminding me, in my senior year, I dropped AP Biology because I found it very stressful. So mm-hmm. I went through mm-hmm. the entire first semester and then I dropped it. Um, you know, I didn't need it. Life was easier back then for high school students. Still got into UC Berkeley, still got into Reed College, my ultimate choice. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But my advice to students now is you don't get to do that because that is also going to be something that colleges really pay attention to. So dropping a class, is a big deal. I mean, I had to recently tell a student of mine who was getting a B um, in AP Physics that she couldn't drop it because it was actually mm-hmm. going to be worse to, not, to uh, not have the class on her schedule than to have a B in that class. Right. Yeah, those are, I mean, those are important um, considerations that I think it's good if, you know, any students who are sophomores and juniors are listening can really pay attention to before they commit to their senior load um, that, you know, it's still an important part of the balancing act that, um, you know, we hear students all the time say, oh, I really want to, you know, take two sciences in my senior year. And, um, you know, I think it's important to take into consideration that they're also going to be completing applications at that time and that, you know, the expectation is to take one science, and yes, some students are able to do it, but the majority are not, you know, and so, um, you know, speaking with your teachers and your guidance counselors, you know, about what's the right and appropriate balance for you so that you're not suddenly biting off more than you can chew and therefore having to show a college, I had to drop this, you know, rather than um, just keeping what you have. I think that's 
you know, an, an important point. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I would say is if you have been admitted to a college, and that is the college you're planning on going to, and you really feel like you need to drop this class, you have a good reason for it. In that mm-hmm. situation, I think calling the college and asking them essentially for permission. Um, you know, I, I did have a student who was admitted a few years ago to a selective college, not the highest tier of selectivity, but um, kind of a second tier and um, of selectivity. Excellent, excellent college. And he called them up and said, look, I just really, you know, do not want to stay in AP Physics. And uh, they actually said, that's fine. You've got AP Chem. You've got AP Bio. You're taking a good course load otherwise. So call and ask for permission. What you don't want to do is surprise them. Yes. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) And then also, um, one of the things I want to emphasize, because this seems obvious, but I have... Had, I've had it happen with students of mine. Please don't get into trouble in your senior year. This is a very, very bad year for you to get caught cheating, um, you know, start a fight at school, you know, anything like your that. your pranks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're going to, if something like that happens, you're going to have to write a letter to the college. You know, in most cases, your high school is going to have to report it. And really something like that can mean... Um, that your application can be withdrawn. So yeah, even if you've yeah. been admitted. So yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really great point, and I, uh, I, I feel badly, you know, for students that uh, you know might it might be their first mistake, perhaps, you know, that they've made of that sort um, as they settle into their seniorness, <laughs> you know, but um, and being the oldest in their school, but it is a really valid point, and we certainly have seen it, you know, where students have had, um, you know, acceptances taken back. But I but I do get asked by students all the time, you know, if my grades are slightly lower than in second semester senior year than they have been typically, am I going to get my acceptance withdrawn? Um, and that is not as common a scenario, but it is important to keep an eye on that you were admitted based on, you know, your overall application and what, you know, you have purported thus far. Um, So trying to maintain some level of consistency and not ending up in the principal's office would be a good idea. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one grade in most cases, one grade that's like, you know, goes from, you know, an A to a B is probably not going to be a big deal for most schools. Yes. Um, But, you you know, you don't want to drop three classes. You don't want to have classes go down to the D range or the F range. You know, that is quite likely the kiss of death at that point. So, um, yeah, definitely. And, And, you know, on that point, you know, if you do need to make these changes, as I said before, with this one student who dropped a class, you need to update the colleges even if you haven't been admitted to them or not. You know, the colleges right. are really not going to take kindly to not being updated. But if you keep them updated, a lot of colleges will actually be pretty flexible with you. Yeah, definitely. I always say to students, it's actually human beings reading your application, and oftentimes, you know, in the committee rooms, as you and I know, you know, we're many times the scenarios that were presented, someone could raise their hand and say, yeah, I I went through that, you know, or that was something that, you know, I've seen many times before and the student will be fine, but they have to be upfront about it, agreed. Mm -hmm. And they should, you know, one of the things that, 
I've sort of realized, being on the other side of the desk, so to speak, is that a lot of people think that they think of admission officers as sort of hostile beings, hostile, judgmental <laughs> people. And, you know, yeah, we have to, we have to make judgments that are challenging, um, but that doesn't mean we enjoy it. And uh, an example that I'd give you, and this is one of the reasons why I want to say to people, trust your admission counselors. It's going to work better if you communicate with them. Um, mm-hmm. At the University of Chicago, um, one of my colleagues told me about, um, I actually met this student. He was a student at University of Chicago when I got there. And the year before, um, you know, he'd been admitted early, and then his grades just, like, dropped precipitously. But he was such a great kid that the admissions counselor actually reached out to him and said, look, what happened? You know, mm-hmm. we want to maintain your admission, but you have to tell me what happened. And it turned out that this young man had come out uh, as gay and mm-hmm. had dealt mm-hmm. with, really thought that his high school was going to handle it better and certainly had some supports, but also dealt with some real bullying. And it just... Mm-hmm devastated his grades. And that is something that we are going to forgive in a heartbeat. So Mm -hmm. trust your admission counselor. He was going to hide it from us. He really should have just gone to us and explained it in the first place. And luckily, and then guess what? He went to Chicago and he did great. He was an excellent student. He became one of our tour guides. I mean, we loved him and he had a very Mm -hmm. successful experience. So I'm sure you've witnessed things like that as well. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. A loss in the family you know, anything that, that, you know, could happen. And it's just trusting, like you said, trusting the admissions office that they're actually not looking for reasons to get rid of you. They actually want you there. <laughs> so, um, you know, trusting that piece would be super important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it can be even at schools that you don't expect to be progressive or understanding, you will often find that person. And you know what? Again, no matter what, it's always better to say something than to not say something. I mean, that Absolutely. you can Well, and as, I mean, it's similar to just the entire admissions process. I always say to students, you know, how you're treated in admissions is often indicative of how, you know, you'll be treated once you're a student on campus. And so, you know, is it welcoming? Is it, you know, um, supportive? And if you present an issue such as this or the scenario that, you know, you presented, um, how do they support you and how do they talk you through it? And, you know, it it can give you a a good heads up um, for the environment that you're going to hopefully dedicate your undergraduate years to. Mm -hmm. And then let's just, I mean, we have a few minutes left, like three minutes, but let's, um, what about any practical advice? I mean, do they need to be... You know, do you recommend that your students call the admission office to see if all their stuff has arrived? I mean, what sort of follow-up <laughs> do you recommend uh, for your students? Definitely not, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> um, I mean, today everything is generally, um, you know, available online, that it is certainly uh, the responsibility of the student that, um, and, and this is something that, you know, it really should be a weekly habit that students just for applications that they're waiting to, you know, are waiting to be reviewed to check that all of their credentials have been received, that no one, and it is even for the tiniest colleges, if they're applying to very small schools, typically at this stage, if the file is not complete by the deadline, that is not going to fly, you know, at least within two weeks of the deadline. 
that the student really needs to make sure, you know, that the requirements are there. Test scores and occasional teacher recommendation might not be able to make it. Um, most things are just easiest to check online. If there's really a discrepancy, um, better to figure that out, you know, before the high school shuts down for winter break if possible, um, and certainly, you know, not on a holiday. <laughs> but um, really, most of the time, students should only have to call if there's a serious you know, question mark or the, the system's not working, but most everything is checked online for sure. Mm-hmm. And check your common application as well to make sure that you actually submitted everything. A couple of years ago, I had a student who thought she had submitted her supplement mm-hmm. to one of her first choice schools and hadn't submitted it. Luckily, mm-hmm. she had shown all her work to a high school counselor. The high school counselor could vouch for her, and so the school actually took it past the deadline. Um, mm-hmm. But you can imagine this student's panic. I mean, she'd worked, and it was just a matter of not following through on one last step. So right. double-check that everything's in. you still got time before that January 1 deadline. So, um, you know, go on the common application and uh, make sure it's all been done. Um, all right. Well, I think that that is it. Um, Shannon and I are going to be, we're going to be going into the next episode, everyone. So um, Shannon Vasconcelos and I are going to be covering uh, listener questions regarding um, financing a college education and college admissions. So, um, but thank you so much, Kara, um, for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Sally. All right. Take care. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. 
To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned previously, Shannon and I will be answering listener questions together. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Sally. How are you? I'm doing really well. Um, how are your holidays going? So far, so good. We're ramping up. We're getting ready. Okay. All right, great. Well, we're pre-taping this show, everyone, but it's not going to air until the 29th. So um, so just so you know, there's a little bit of a time warp occurring here. Um, so, Shannon, um, we have a lot more questions regarding admissions than financial aid at this point. So why don't you kick it off and read me some admissions questions, and then I'll read you the, financial, the finance-related questions. How about that? Sure. So our first question comes in from... Ginesan, and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm um, butchering that name, uh, but the question is, is a recommendation from a university professor an advantage or not in the college admissions process? So this, you're going to hear me saying this a lot today, but it depends. <laughs> um, first of all, not all colleges want extra recommendations, period. You know, a number of colleges really don't want them, and you always want to follow their rules. Um, however, some of them are amenable to one extra recommendation, and then you, if that's the case, then you want to apply some really strict guidelines to whether you have an extra recommendation. Is it really, truly excellent? Does it really say something that hasn't been said already by the AP English teacher or the AP history teacher or whoever it might be? So, you know, in some cases, yes, you know, but... You know, when I worked at University of Chicago, we would get recommendations from professors there, and every once in a while, there was a truly exceptional recommendation. You know, this student was as good or better as any of the college students that I've worked with at the University of Chicago. If it said things like that, then that was a worthwhile recommendation to submit. However, if it was, you know, this student got, you know, an A- minus in the class and they did adequate work, you know, obviously that's not going to be as strong, and you don't always get to read, in fact, you won't, in most cases, get to read even an additional recommendation. So I think you need to ask the professor, you know, do you think you can write me a really strong recommendation, or would you say that my work was sort of typical for a strong high school student? And if it was typical for a strong high school student, it probably isn't going to be worth it to submit that recommendation, but if the professor is like, absolutely, this is one of the best you're one of the best students I've worked with, you're better than a lot of my college students, then, you know, then that might be a worthwhile recommendation. Um, but, you know, also be aware that that doesn't always mean you're in. I had a student who went to, um, you know, the Brown Summer Program. She got a really wonderful recommendation from her professor who did, you know, compare her favorably to other college students, and she still didn't get in because she just didn't have the strength in some other areas of her file. And, frankly, it's really hard to get into those colleges. So, you know, I don't think it hurt her her to submit the recommendation. I'm 100% sure it didn't. But ultimately, she was still denied. So don't feel like you're also at a disadvantage if you don't have that kind of a recommendation. So so that's, you know, again, it depends. But, you know, think carefully about it. It might be worth it. Gotcha. I have a feeling we're going to hear it depends a lot today. (laughs) Yes. That's our usual answer to most questions. There's no one-size-fits-all. Exactly. Um, 
Yeah. Our next question comes from Lisa, and she asks, what are colleges more interested in, high school students taking honors classes and getting a B or taking AP classes and getting an A? Uh, Or is it just the final GPA that matters and they don't care how you got it? Uh, And she says thank you in advance. Okay. So I think that she misspoke here. I think she means high school students taking honors or AP classes and getting a B and then taking regular classes and getting an A. I'm just guessing because obviously... (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. I think she reversed things there. (laughs) Yeah, because obviously taking AP classes and getting an A is going to be the ideal. So here's the thing. I mean, well, first of all, I want to direct everyone to our very first episode uh, where we addressed this question. It was on February 5th, 2015, um, and this is a perennial question. It comes up all the time. Um, I'm gonna, so I'm just going to kind of quickly say, in general, for your child's development, irregardless of what colleges want, for your child's preparedness for college, they should take at least a few AP and honors courses. And, I, and the most selective colleges, honestly, they do, they expect to see honors in AP classes, and they, in most cases, expect an A in them. Um, other colleges, you probably don't need to take a ton, but I still think your child should take at least a few. But again, go back to the February 5th episode, and we'll, we'll really talk about that in some detail. Great. Okay, so Shannon, let me go ahead and ask you a question, and this one is from Dan. Um, if I'm not happy with the scholarship my daughter was offered, is it possible to ask for more money without stepping on toes? Yes, it absolutely is. And, and yeah, to follow your lead, um, Sally, I will direct folks back to um, one of our previous episodes, and it was actually, I looked it up on March 24th, 2016, we did a whole segment of the show on scholarship negotiation. So 100% yes, you can always go back to a school and ask for more money if you're not happy with their initial offer. Uh, I wouldn't worry about stepping on toes. Um, Nothing bad will ever come of it. The worst a school will do is say, no, sorry, there's no more money that we can give you. Um, But it absolutely uh, never hurts to ask. Um, Now, you're in the best position for negotiating if, you know, there's a threat that you're going to go elsewhere. So if you can um, tell the school, you know, I'd really love to go to your school. You're my first choice school. It's just the money that's holding me back. This other school gave me this better scholarship offer, and that's really hard to turn down, is there anything else you can do? Again, never hurts to ask that question, Um, and you might be surprised at how often the schools do say yes and will throw an extra few thousand dollars your way if they think that will be enough to get you there. Um, Now, you want to be realistic in your expectations. Not every school is going to say yes. Not every school is going to offer you any more. If they do offer you more, from what I've seen, we're typically looking at... um, you know, relatively minor increases, you know, two, $3,000 um, per year over four years, that certainly adds up. Um, and again, you know, if it gets you a few thousand dollars and all it took was, you know, maybe a half hour to sit down and write a letter uh, asking for more money, you know, that's a pretty good rate of return on your time there. So it's always worth trying asking for more. Again, they won't always say yes, uh, but it's always worth a shot. Uh, we also are actually going to do another... Um, segment of the show on scholarship negotiation coming up in February. So if you're really interested in kind of digging into the best way to go about that, stay tuned to a future episode that's going to be coming up in February. 
and I'll just I'll just second what you say as an admission officer. Um, you know, at University of Chicago, we didn't negotiate at all. I mean, it was just the decision was the decision, unless there was, you know, my father lost his job. I mean, so that's not a scholarship, but need based. Um, but you know, it wasn't like I withdrew anyone's admission. I'd just say no, we don't do that, and then they'd call the financial aid office, and the financial aid office would tell them no. But you know, an <laughs> offer. You know, the admission <laughs> offer stood. So there, else to call in right. the school. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was, you know, and then they'd say, I'm going to talk to your dean, and I'd say, okay, and then they'd talk to the dean, and he would say no. So, um, right. <laughs> so you know, the answer, if it's no, it's no. But, again, it never impacted the admission decision. So we can really reassure everyone on that point. Absolutely. It's always worth a shot. Uh, now I have another admissions question for you, uh, and this is from Maureen, and she asks, is it a good idea for a student to email the admissions person before visiting a college to introduce themselves and to see if he or she can meet with the student at their visit? You know, this is the kind of thing that's never going to hurt. Um, I mean, in, in all honesty, at a lot of colleges, you know, probably you're not going to even get a response to that email, but there are probably more colleges where the admission officer would actually be thrilled with that. So, you know, when I worked at Whittier College, um, you know, which admitted over 50% of their applicants, if a student had emailed me and said, I'd really like to set up an appointment with you, I would have said, great. And I would have, for- I mean, I, I still would have ultimately forwarded the email to the, um, the, the visit coordinator, right? But it would have sort of put me on notice that this particular student was really interested. And, you know, I've heard from multiple, you know, a lot of colleges really are looking for something called demonstrated interest at this point. They want to know that you are interested in their school. So this is a way to demonstrate interest. What you don't want to do is you don't want to stalk the college. I mean, you don't want to kind of follow up with a billion emails. You don't want to send someone a weekly email. You know, that sort of thing is too much. But saying, I'm coming to your college for a visit. I was hoping I could meet with you. Um, In all honesty, first I would go through the visit coordinator um, and see if that could be arranged. And, um, you know, if not, you can even email them and say, you can even email the admission counselor and say, you know, I re- I've, I've heard that you're busy, but I just wanted to let you know I'll be there. If we have a chance to say hello, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much. You know, just a quick email like that, I think probably at most colleges is going to be great. Now, at large state schools, they're going to be like, why are you emailing me this? <laughs> at the most selective colleges, you're probably just not going to get a response. Um, but, you know, again, it's not going to hurt you unless you're trying to email weekly, and in which case they're going to say, you, wow, something's wrong. Stop talking us. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just to, pig- to piggyback on that, uh, for folks listening, if you want to meet with the financial aid officer who's in charge of reviewing your financial aid application, if you want to you know, explain any special circumstances, ask for reconsideration, things like that, if you'd like to meet specifically with the person who is reviewing your child's financial aid application, I would say at most schools you probably can do that, but it is 100% a good idea to email um, the financial aid office in advance and ask to schedule an appointment. If you just, you know, show up at the financial aid office, um, you'll, you'll be able to talk to someone, but it is likely, um, you know, kind of a customer service representative, maybe a work-study student kind of working the front desk at the financial aid office. And in all honesty, the, you know, the work-study student in the office can answer most questions for you. But if you really have some sort of special circumstances, you really want to sit down and talk with the person who's in charge of reviewing your child's file, that's absolutely something you need to email and schedule in advance uh, because 
they're just simply not available all the time. So Mm -hmm. just a little tip if you want to meet with the financial aid officer. And it may depend also on the size of the school. The schools I worked at were fairly large uh, aid offices. And, again, the frontline customer service was typically work-study students. And you could meet with your – it's usually an assistant director who's who's reviewing most of the files, uh, but it's certainly something that had to be scheduled in advance. Mm-hmm. And that's just a good idea in general. I mean, I've been working with some students with learning disabilities, and, you know, if you go to the, the learning disability support office at a college, it's a good idea to email them for an appointment as well. You know, so, yeah, just across the board, if you can, try and schedule it ahead of time. Exactly. Um, and the next question comes from Emma, and she is wondering if you have any recommendations for finding the best ACT or SAT tutors. Okay, so... Um, I mean, yeah, I do have some general advice on this. First of all, one of the biggest sort of mistakes that I've seen is this one student of mine, um, she was scoring a little lower than I expected on the SAT. You know, she was a really strong student and sort of not scoring commensurately strongly. And I said, well, have you thought about trying the ACT? And she said, well, my tutor only tutors the SAT, so that's what I'm going to do. And I just thought, okay, that's ridiculous. That's the cart driving the horse. Um, right. You know, you need a tutor. First of all, you should find a tutor or an agency that can sit down with you and help you figure out whether you're going to do better on the SAT or the ACT. A lot of them will have you take some kind of like a diagnostic test of both, or they might use your PSAT scores and then have you take a diagnostic ACT test. There's a lot of good ways to do this, but they should have some mechanism by which they can help you figure out whether the ACT or the SAT is better for you. So that's number one. If they can't do that, I wouldn't work with them. Number two, really, you should be able to find a full-time SAT tutor. Um, you know, what I don't think works as well is, you know, the English teacher who does a little SAT tutoring on the side. And it doesn't mean that that person isn't a wonderful tutor for English. You know, they'd probably be great to help you, you know, when you're stuck on your papers for your class. Or the math tutor who, you know, is really, really excellent when they're helping you with your pre-calculus homework. But if they're not a full-time SAT or ACT uh, tutor, then they don't really know all the, you know, kind of tricks and the differences, and they're not going to be able to, they're simply not going to have enough time to stay up to date with all the changes. So those are sort of the two main things that I would look for. And then beyond that, of course, you know, ask for recommendations, but also try and find recommendations from maybe a student who is similar to your your child, right? So if your child has a, has a friend who's you know, if your child is a B student um, and their friend is a straight A student, maybe that tutor isn't going to be as good for them. You want to specifically ask the question, have you worked with students who are like my daughter, who are scoring at the 1100 range and we want to get her up to 1300? And conversely, you know, you know, my daughter is at the 1400 range and given the school she wants to go to, we want her to get to the 1500 to, to 1550 range. You know, how do you have experience with students in that range? Because it's a different kind of tutoring um, in those different circumstances. So they should have some, they should be able to talk to you about that. So, um, and mind you, you can find great tutors as part of agencies. Um, you can find great tutors who are working on their own. Um, so, you know, I, I can't give you sort of general advice as far as that goes. Gotcha. Great. Um, did you want to do another admissions question or yeah. you me with the finance one? Actually, yeah, let's go to a finance one. Um, 
So this is from George, and he said, My son is applying to 12 colleges, but it looks like I can only send the FAFSA to 10. So what can I do? Ah, George, yes, a very, very common question and literally came across my desk twice today already. Um, Yeah, so the the FAFSA hasn't quite kind of caught up with the times in recognizing that a lot of students nowadays are applying to more than 10 colleges. So you'll notice when you're filling out the FAFSA, um, it only gives you slots to list 10 different schools that you want the FAFSA information sent to. And actually, for most students, that's probably more than sufficient. Um, But there certainly are many students out there nowadays applying to more than 10 schools. Um, So you can certainly have the FAFSA sent to more than 10 schools. It just becomes a bit of a multi-step process. It's a little bit annoying to have to go through, but it's certainly doable. So what you have to do is, first of all, you want to find out the financial aid application deadlines of each of the schools um, that your son is applying to. And that's something that's easily available on the school's website. I would kind of list the schools in order of when their deadline is. So when you initially complete the FAFSA, list the first 10 schools that you want the information sent to, so the 10 schools with the earliest deadline. Um, So you have the information sent to those initial 10 schools, because that's all you can put down initially. You wait a few days, and within a few days, you should be receiving an email with a link to the student's Uh, student aid report, or SAR is what they call it. That's sort of a confirmation that your FAFSA has been processed. Uh, It lists all the information that you put on the FAFSA, so you're supposed to check it over, make sure everything's accurate. Your receipt of that student aid report is your indication that all 10 schools on that list have, in fact, received your FAFSA. At that point, you know your FAFSA has been received by those 10 schools. You can go ahead and remove two of the schools from the list, because they've already got your FAFSA. They're all set replace them with the you know, two remaining schools on your list and just resubmit the FAFSA. And then, again, within a few days, it gets to those two remaining schools and you are all done. So it's just a, a little bit of a hassle. You have to go in there twice to send the FAFSA to more than 10 schools, uh, but it's certainly doable. Okay. All right, great. And, Shannon, it's time for you and I to take a quick break. So everyone will be returning in just a few minutes, so please stick around. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. 
Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Shannon and I will continue answering listener questions now. So thanks for sticking around, Shannon. Great, Sally. So our next question comes from Lori, and her question is actually specific to one particular university, Yale, though I'm, I'm guessing it probably applies to, to many other universities. But Lori says, Yale has a policy of reporting all SAT and ACT and subject tests taken. What if my daughter doesn't want to show her low scores? How will this affect her prospects of admission? So the answer is really almost certainly not at all. Um, colleges are really good about taking the highest scores, and in fact, now that reading is computerized, um, what colleges will do is they'll they'll often just print the highest scores on the reading sheet. So, you know, I know that at some colleges they don't even see the lower scores. Now, I can tell you that I have seen colleges where, you know, if a student has taken the test, you know, seven times or something, that that might actually get reported and that might get them a ding. But the fact that they took it three times or even four times is pretty standard and that their score went up, um, you know, or even that their score was higher at one point and then went lower, that's not going to have an impact. The colleges tend to be really, really good about just taking their highest score. So I can, you know, I can really be reassuring um, on this. Just go ahead and, and the other thing is it's very important to follow the rules because the fact is that if somehow you're caught, which is unlikely, but if somehow you're caught not following the rules, then your entire application will most likely be thrown out because you have not, you know, adhered to the terms of the contract, which is the application. So, so that's great. I th- and I think that is so reassuring. I, I think that this, this whole process is so kind of confusing and intimidating and sometimes parents get the impression that the schools are trying to look for ways to trick you or to hurt you. And I think it's reassuring to, to hear from you, someone who knows that they're, they're really not out to get you. They're really going to try and help you in any way that they can. Oh, they absolutely are. And I mean, I just, I mean, I, I don't know if this helps, but, you know, there have been times when I actually teared up when I found out that we couldn't admit a student that I really wanted or, you know, or what, although I will say that one time when I teared up, they were like, okay, fine, Sally, we'll take her, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this student had just written such a beautiful essay. She was on the border academically, but her essay was one of the best I'd read, you know, literally in, you know, five years that I'd been working so far. So, you know, they're like, all right, Sally. <laughs> you know? So we are on your side. We really are on your side. We're not trying to trick you. We're trying to help you do the process as honestly and straightforwardly as you can. Can. And then if you do that, the feeling, our feeling really is that you're going to end up in the right place. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the next question is from Kim. And she says, um, my son suffered a severe concussion this time last year and still has lingering effects. Needless to say, his grades suffered because of his 
severe symptoms. He's still wanting to go to college and move past this traumatic experience. Can we and should we tell his story through one of the essays? Uh, He's a very bright boy and wants to get past this. His reading scores show his deficit because he still gets severe headaches during tests. Okay, so... I mean, the, my general advice um, for someone is that if they have, if they want to disclose what's kind of like a temporary disability or issue, um, that there's probably almost never going to be a downside to doing it. Um, so I think if he wants to write an essay about this topic, if this is the topic that speaks to him, then he absolutely should be writing about it for his main essay. The other option I like to mention, though, is that at least if you're using the common application, there's something called the additional information slot. And so if he has some other passion that he wants to write about for his main essay, but he does want to, you know, explain why his reading scores are low, why maybe his grades were impacted, then the additional information places an ideal um, place to kind of explain why his grades, you know, maybe his grades were impacted or why his test scores have been impacted. Now, one thing I do want to mention is that in general, colleges are only going to, you know, they're very sympathetic, but they're going to want to see that some healing or some improvement has taken place. So, um, so writing the essay is probably only going to be helpful if you've been able to demonstrate kind of that upward trajectory, you know, that this happened at this time, you know, the next six months were really awful, but you can see that once he became healed, that his grades significantly improved at that point, or, you know, his test scores have, um, have improved, or maybe in his case, it sounds like his test scores haven't improved yet, but if you can show improvement in other areas, then I think, um, you know, it can still be a good thing to write about. But this is another it depends question. I mean, if you can't show that improvement over time, writing the letter isn't going to hurt, but it's probably not going to help either because they're going to say, okay, but we need to know that he can do the work here. And we don't have evidence of that. So, you know, in that situation, sometimes taking a gap year, sometimes going part-time initially to a community college is the right thing to do. This doesn't mean he's not going to eventually be able to go to college and have a full experience and go full, you know, and, and but they might not be ready to admit him where he is now. Now, obviously, I don't have a lot of information, Kim, about your son, so he may be ready to go. I'm just saying that sometimes I talk to people and, you know, understandably, the, you know, their son is, his heart's broken, his kids are going off to college, sorry, his friends are going off to college. You want to help your kid go to college too, but maybe it's just not time yet, and the colleges are going to say it's not time and might deny him on that basis, so. Right. Gotcha. Do you have a finance question for me? Yes, I do. So Kathleen asked, she said, I recently completed my FAFSA. Is there anything else I need to do? Good question. Uh, And the answer is probably not in terms of the financial aid process. At most colleges, all you have to do is submit the FAFSA. Now you want to make sure that the schools received your FAFSA. Most schools nowadays have kind of an online system where you can check your application status, so that's probably a good thing to do. Make sure the FAFSA has, in fact, been received by all the schools that need it. But the other thing I would say to do is go to each the, the website for each of the colleges that your child is applying to and just double-check their financial aid 
application requirements. Again, at most schools, it is, in fact, just the FAFSA, and you're done. Uh, but there are some colleges. Um, there's a group of about 300 almost entirely private colleges that require this extra form called the CSS Profile. Um, so sometimes that comes as a surprise to, to folks that there's this whole extra form that they need to fill out beyond the FAFSA. Um, again, it's not required by the majority of colleges, but there are about 300, tend to be kind of pretty high-profile colleges um, that request that extra form. Some colleges do require copies of tax returns, things like that. So just check the websites of each of the schools that your child is applying to uh, just to double-check that they don't need anything else. Again, they usually don't, but, but sometimes they do. Um, if you find out you are, in fact, done, that all of the schools your child is applying to just required the FAFSA, you've done that, you're done, now it's just kind of a waiting game to hear back from the schools. In the meantime, something that I recommend, recommend that people do during this kind of waiting game time period is it's a good time to start researching um, private scholarships. Um, scholarships.com is one good website where you can track down some private scholarships, talk to the high school guidance counselor about any local community-based scholarships you can apply for. Um, once you are, in fact, truly done with the main financial aid application process, um, that, that's a good kind of next step to take to try and pull in a little bit more money through some private scholarships. Okay, and then great. The, the next admissions question that came in um, from, I believe, Dov, or could be Dave, uh, but it is, how important are the college application essays? <laughs> this is another depends question. Yeah, but <laughs> I could have answered that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there are some... You know, the colleges at the most selective level, like if we're talking about Stanford or the rest of the Ivies where the admit rates are essentially between 5% to, you know, maybe, I think maybe 11% for Cornell or something like that. You know, it, when the admit rates are so low, um, what you're looking at is you're looking at, you know, the majority of the applicants have essentially perfect grades, they've got perfect test scores, and so admissions officers are making these very fine distinctions. Um, they're sort of checking off the test scores, you know, 800s, you know, perfect 800s, combined score 1600 is not exceptional in those pools. So they're sort of checking off, okay, got the grades, got the transcript, got the, you know, um, maybe there's a little something extra on the transcript, you know, awesome. But they, and sometimes the decisions end up being made by, you know, things like, or often based on things like extracurricular activities and essays because everything else is so similar. So it's through the essays or through the extracurricular activities or a little bit through both that a student can really stand out. So the more selective the college, the more the essay matters. Now, that being said, I do want to be clear that there are schools that are less selective, but maybe where a student who is on the cusp, um, you know, like say a school that admits 50% of their applicants, which is, you know, only 20% of colleges out there admit fewer than 50%. So we're still talking about a really selective school in the landscape of college admission. In, at, at a school like that, a student who's kind of on the border uh, between admit and deny, maybe they're being thought about as a waitlist candidate potentially. They're, you know, a really good essay can absolutely push them into the admit column. So wherever 
whatever level of selectivity you're applying into, you're not sure exactly where you're going to fall in that pool. You know, you, you need to put some time and attention into that essay. And I would say, I mean, I would also say, by the way, that there are some schools, you know, we talked about demonstrated interest for the student who was asking if they should email their admissions counselor. You know, sometimes a school that's a safety for you might really want to know how interested you are. And so if you do a terrible job on your essay for a school that's a safety because you think it's a safety, it doesn't matter, they might really pick that up and say, we're going to waitlist this kid because we don't think he really cares anyway. So in general, um, know that for some, you know, a school that admits 80% of their applicants or above, probably the essays don't matter that much as long as you don't write about the fact that you're building a bomb shelter because you're a survivalist. I know this sounds like a joke, but I actually saw an application like this um, at when I worked at Whittier, and we did not admit that student, even though we had, academically probably would have been admitted, you know. Um, right. So, you know, don't set off any red flags that... Uh, um, but in general, you know, if, yeah, again, if it's a school that admits over 80%, you probably don't need to worry too much about the essay. Just do, a, like, a basically a good job. You know, make sure it's grammatical. Make sure you answer the question. But it doesn't have to be unbelievably good. The more selective the school, probably the more important that essay is going to be. Gotcha. Uh, and the next question, I'm going to venture a guess right now that the answer is it depends. <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> this question is from Bob, and he says, does it make any difference what major or field of study you apply under? And, and he goes on to specify as, as far as chances of admission at the Ivy League institutions in Stanford. Okay, so I only have two minutes left, so I'm just going to kind of quickly say, again, it depends. And um, it depends on kind of how the college is structured. Like UPenn, for example, University of Pennsylvania, Wharton, you know, when they have these kind of distinct schools, or Cornell has these distinct schools within it, um, you know, applying into engineering, applying to Wharton. Wharton is incredibly competitive, much more so, you know, UPenn's competitive period, but Wharton is going to be more competitive within it. So, um, you know, but the difference between, like, English or art history, you're not going to see a big difference. Um, you know, I will say that at University of Chicago, where there really wasn't that distinction, if a student said they were interested in classics, we saw that so rarely that it might give, like, a little teeny tiny extra, like, ooh, that's cool for that student. Okay. But I want to stress, by the way, that you shouldn't all now put down classics <laughs> on your application. I mean, this is only going to work if you've been studying Latin for the last four years of high school. So, you know, make sure, you don't, don't tailor the be a major in ridiculous ways, it has to make sense. You know, if you want to be a chemistry major but you have Bs, that's not going to work. Um, all right, so thanks so much, Shannon, and thank you to Kara. And now I want to tell all of our listeners about our show next week. Beth Heaton will be returning as the host, and she'll be hosting Schools in Hours and interviewing a college finance expert on what you can do if you can't afford the spring semester tuition bill at college. And finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download every show for free on iTunes. If you check out the archives, you'll find our shows featuring the Schools Out and Schools In segments beginning June 30th. And if you like our show, please be sure to rate us on iTunes. It only takes a moment of your time. It's absolutely free. And last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time. So check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. 
hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 